I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. Today we're going to be exploring domestic violence. We've talked about several subjects um, pertaining to sexual assault, sexual violence, other kinds of of domestic, not always domestic problems, but today we're going to focus on domestic violence. And we have two guests with us. Ellen Higgins is the Director of Housing for DASIS, and Debbie Hackworth is the Director of Advocacy Services, both of whom are here to talk to us about what domestic violence is and what we can do to prevent and help survivors of domestic violence. So welcome. Thank you. Hi. And I'm not sure where we're going to start, so one of the two of you can just jump right in. What What is domestic violence? Well, domestic violence is a pattern of behaviors that the abuser uses against their intimate partner in the context that we talk about it um, to either gain or maintain power and control. And it's intentional. Uh, no one just accidentally abuses someone else. It's intentional and they do it because they want to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Program, for lack of a better term, their Hmm. victim to be who they want them to be at all times. Oh my. So somehow in the back of my head, domestic violence was maybe a product of, of a temporary anger or something didn't go well. But that's a whole different take on it when you're talking about it's intentional and they have a, a method and a, and a purpose for doing this. Absolutely. It's not about anger at all. Abusers a lot of times are sent to anger management mm-hmm. as a form of punishment for abusing their victim. But it's not about anger management because if I can get mad in the morning and hold it all day, and come home and take it out on my intimate partner, mm-hmm. only my intimate partner, then I am very much in control of my anger. If so I, you already have anger management. Yeah, you don't it's, need not, class. it's about power and control. We've talked frequently about power and control. What is power and control? What, what are people looking for? There are many different uh, aspects of power and control, and we use at the shelter and in our services the power and control wheel, which explains to clients um, who don't necessarily understand, yeah, the abuse that they've endured. So financial abuse, that's a big one, like using economic abuse. So they're not allowed to have a job. 
they um, have to stay in the home. Their money is goes right into an account that only he can manage. And people don't see that as abuse. But if a if a victim wanted to leave, well, they don't have any money. No resources. They they, exactly. So that's one form of abuse. Um, Isolation is a big one. Controlling what the, who the person sees, who they talk to, where they go, sometimes what they read, who they're friends with mm-hmm. on um, Facebook, Instagram, all of that stuff. Isolating them only to them so that they can be the only influence in that person's life. I know you hear sometimes that they separate them from their families. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that has to be part of that isolation as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And maybe playing into the economic part of it, too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yep, it, it, does. it does. And with that comes intimidation. You know, I want to scare you into thinking that if you go to your family, that I will be able to get to you from there. I'll be able to get to them. I've gotten to them first, so you can't go to your family scare you into not being able to, you know, leave the house or contact anyone or use your Facebook because I'm going to be able to see what you're doing. So you just feel stuck right here in this, you know, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. And you have to protect those people that you love. So if you do leave, then it would be your fault. Absolutely. Yeah. Another game that they play is minimizing, denying, and blaming They minimize the abuse by saying that, uh, well, if they hit their victim, well, I didn't hit you that hard, Mm -hmm. denying that it happened um, or blaming the victim for the abuse happening, saying things like, well, if you hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have had to do that. Then I wouldn't have had to do that. Mm -hmm. You made me do this. Look at what you made me do. So we're back to, again, it's that the victim's fault, not mm-hmm. the abuser's right. fault. So how, how would you get out of this cycle? How, how can a victim break out of this? Well, it takes time. A complex answer. <laughs> yeah, that is a very <laughs> complex answer. With our agency, what we do is if someone reaches out for help, First of all, we let them know that the abuse, number one, is not their fault. Because so many times, especially with the blaming, Mm -hmm. they've bought into the belief that they're somehow at fault for their abuse. And society plays into that, too. I know a lot of times when you hear someone is being abused, the first question that comes out of a lot of um, people, their mouths are, um, well, what does she do? What did she do to make him do this? Oh, my. And so letting them know that the abuse is not their fault and that they have options and there are resources that we can explore with them to help them leave that abusive relationship. And it's not just a jump up and leave. It's a process to it, and we're here to walk beside them to help them realize that, number one, they're not alone and there is hope. Well, that's interesting. You said some people's first question would be, what did they do to cause it? My first question would have been, why don't they get out of there? And there must be a myriad of reasons, uh, along with being afraid they would hurt your family, Mm -hmm. as to why victims stay. I think the number one reasons why victims will stay in a relationship is love. Mm -hmm. 
they love that person. The good times are good, but the bad times are so bad. Sometimes it's hard to visualize that there would be good times. And and maybe maybe that's in an abusive relationship or domestic violence. It doesn't happen every day. It happens occasionally. Well, you don't go into a relationship assuming that you're going to be abused. So it usually does start with good times. And that's what you remember throughout the relationship. You know, when it gets bad and you're being abused, whether emotionally or physically, what you're remembering are those good times to get through the bad times. Do there continue to be good times? good times in a situation like this? Well, when the movement first started, they described domestic violence as a cycle, the cycle of abuse, and there's three phases in that cycle. There is the honeymoon phase where everything seems to be good. There's the um, tension phase where tension is beginning to rise and Everyone is walking on eggshells. There's poor communication. And then there's the um, abusive incident. And it goes around and around in circles on this crazy cycle Mm -hmm. where, okay, things are getting tense. And um, I can't say the right thing. I can't do the right thing. Everything is getting on my partner's nerves, and I feel like something bad is going to happen. And then the abusive incident happens. And so whether it's verbal or physical, because we tend to always think physical abuse, physical abuse, but the verbal and psychological abuse is just as damaging as the physical abuse. I've heard women... More. Yeah. I've heard women say, I, sometimes I wish he just hit me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because I can't take feeling like less than a person anymore. Mm -hmm. And so the abusive incident happens. And then the honeymoon phase is, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I didn't mean it. Let's let's go see a counselor. Let's go to church. And, And so then the victim is then questioning whether or not this was just a bad incident you know maybe he will change there's you know they feel like there's some hope but what the honeymoon cycle really is for a lot of victims is just that period where they're waiting for the other shoe to drop Mm -hmm. so there really is no honeymoon phase it's just the calm before the storm and that's also part of that power and control while you're just waiting for the next phase you're gonna do what that abuser wants you to do trying to prevent it from happening again yes mm-hmm. we've been talking about why why victims stay and we're gonna we're gonna continue that conversation in a future episode more much more in depth but debbie you mentioned that the victims love their person they they continually think maybe it was just a one-time thing and you said hope that this situation will change so we focus a lot on the victims but is there hope that these perpetrators will stop doing this there's always hope i believe but it takes someone willing to recognize that their behavior is not right and i believe reaching out for help to change there is a program called batterers intervention that is not used enough and dealing with perpetrators. And in that program, 
they help the victims to, I'm sorry, not the victims, the perpetrators, to recognize their behavior, take responsibility for their own behaviors, and learn different ways to respond to their frustrations and to conflict within a relationship, because every relationship is going to have some conflict. Oh, sure. But in a normal relationship, you just resolve those, whether you're talking about it or, you know, stomping around the living room, I don't know, but you don't hit your partner or, or you know, participate in any kind of violence like that. So. You're, you're correct in a normal relationship, but we don't see very normal relationships anymore. Sure what is don't. normal? Normal is relative to who you are, where you've come oh, from. Sure. And so unfortunately, as parents, as adults, we don't always model healthy relationships for our children. And so our children then take what they see in their home and then their outside influences from society then form opinions about how a relationship should be and so a lot of times abuse is generational and Mm -hmm. it gets worse and worse and worse and can I say for a normal relationship when we talk about that what is normal is couples fighting and calling each other names and he might shove her once and when we see that or we hear about it Oh, well, they're just fighting. Mm -hmm. That is normal in society today. So when we talk about a normal relationship, that is the normal. My relationship, mine and my husband's, that is not normal. That is not normal. Mm -hmm. You know, the relationships, yeah, Mm -hmm. and the marriages we have in this room, those are not normal. Right. The relationships we're talking about are what's normal now. And Hmm. that is so sad. That is sad. That is sad. It's sad for... A husband and wife to get married, be faithful to one another, stay married, and have a healthy relationship. And I, there is some dysfunction in every relationship. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I saw the power and control will, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't do that. Uh, but what was, what was my intention behind that behavior? Was it to have power and control over my husband? No, it was some bad habits I had picked up along the way. And so one sign of a healthy relationship is that you can have that conversation about the behaviors that are unhealthy in your relationship and work towards change because things that are, that seemed normal 20, 30 years ago, we've now learned that those things are not normal, and when we know better, we do better. Mm-hmm. So boys will be boys, or um, that's just the way he is, or that's just the way she is. Lies, those are, lies, yes. stop lies. saying that. <laughs> yes. yes, yeah. So yeah, healthy relationships. You know, you can take turns with that power and control wheel. It's not always just coming from one side of that relationship. And I, I right. being a little flippant about that I don't mean it that way but of course you're gonna you need to to blow off steam you need to have different opinions on things but there are healthy and loving ways to deal with those in good solid relationships and in domestic violence 
based relationships they don't have those skills or the desire to have those well skills, when we perhaps. look at the power and control well what you need to look at number one physical violence we know when we see physical violence that's abuse you know there's no question about that but, but i think even the abuser must i mean you know it's wrong to hit people whether you're saying you know i i know it's wrong i'm not going to do that mm -hmm. because it's wrong obviously Knowing it's wrong is not going to prevent that. So I had an abuser I was talking to. I confronted him on his behavior. Instead of talking to his victim about her behavior, I went to him and I said, you know, I love you and I don't like to see you behave in this manner. I know you're a better person than this. Why are you treating your wife like this? And he said, I don't know any other way to treat her. So if you have a better way, then tell me, because he was so used to behaving in that manner. And not even that he saw his father behave in that manner, but it had just become his norm. He was he was an aggressive guy. He was an athlete. And a lot of times that's not left out on the field or on, mm -hmm. the, or on the court. And so we began to have discussions about when you get upset, what can you do? And he said, well, I tried to walk away, but she followed me. Keep walking. Keep walking. Well, she'll still follow me. Keep walking. You Turning around and being physical with someone is never the answer. It's going to create more problems than it solves. And that obviously indicates that, well, obviously, both people need to learn different ways to behave. Mm-hmm. I know, even for myself, I remember one time, I can't believe I'm sharing this. So <laughs> my husband and I, we had a disagreement. And it was just miscommunication. But he needed to walk away to calm down. But me being the communicator, I'm like, no, let's talk about this. <laughs> and he says, no, I need to go. Right. And so he walks downstairs. And so I walk downstairs. <laughs> And he goes in the bedroom. So I go in the bedroom because I just want to talk this out. In my mind, I can see how we can resolve this right now. And so he was like, please leave me alone. And I'm like, I just want to talk to you. Right. And it got to the point where we have a patio door in our bedroom. He walked out the patio door. And then I was like, what are you doing? He is trying to walk away. This is him de-escalating the situation. Right. Give him his space. Right. Stop following that man. And so I had to look at my behavior. I wasn't trying to be abusive. I wasn't trying to be controlling. But I had to respect his process. Mm -hmm. Which was different than your process. Which is different than my process. And with an abusive relationship, so many times... The abuser wants their process to be their significant other's process. You have to behave the way that I want you to behave, or there's consequences behind that. Mm -hmm. And again, back to power and control. Power and control, absolutely. And we talked about the lead up, like, you know, the honeymoon phase and then what happens next. But or if, I feel like once you get to the physical abuse, there was already abuse before that. Absolutely. So it was the emotional abuse and the, you know, the economic abuse. And that all came before mm -hmm. the physical abuse. Yes. So, yeah, you get away with, well, I don't know, get away with is the right term. But the 
successfully for a while, then the escalation can continue right. as you successfully escalate. Well, and the physical abuse is so, it's physical. We can see it. It's outward. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. bruises. It's it's all of that. But we, we neglect to recognize what led up to that in the first place. I want to try something real quick. I want to interrupt. I'm, I'm Dan, one of the producers. Uh, what I found very interesting, Deb, is that I'm the same way in my relationship with my wife. When we get into a disagreement, she needs space. She needs that time. I want to talk, and I want to talk right now. And th- there's a, r- a room in our house where it's the like the, the mud room, and then there's a, a laundry room off to the side, and then it goes into the main house. And I will, I did at one point. I stood in, in the doorway. She was at the other side of the room a good 15 feet away from me. I stood in the doorway and just said, I want to talk. And she told me later that she felt cornered, even though I wasn't right in her face. She felt cornered. And so I, I get that. Yeah. So I, so what I what I want to say though is what I find interesting is that when you were saying that Deb, it sounded like you were going to go down the road what so many of us do and say you as the victim need needed to walk away so that your husband didn't abuse you. But what you said instead was I was becoming that abuser of control mm-hmm. and I need to let him go. And I just mm-hmm. that really kind of hit me. And I want to I want to kind of just say that out there because I just find that just so fascinating that as as a man. My first thought was, well, yeah, you should have left him alone so he didn't, like, turn around and hit you. That That's not at all what we're saying. That's not what Deb said. She was so much on the other side of that. So just, yeah, I just want to throw that in there real quick. Sorry to interrupt. Go back yeah. to it. That's a, yeah, that was, that, was, that was perfect. That was perfect. It wasn't, yeah. And you were talking about how the abuse starts. It starts really subtle. You know, it starts with, um, you know, I don't want you talking to Ellen because Ellen is a bad influence on you. I don't want you going to this place without me. Let me see your phone. Let me read your text messages. Let you know subtle things. And a lot of times the abuser is the perfect mate mm-hmm. until they get that person in a committed relationship. And then that's when the abuse really escalates. They've already laid the groundwork for the abuse but once I've got you where I want you then the abuse escalates yeah if it started too soon you could walk away before the relationship ever really cemented yeah I mean if someone hit me in the eye on the first date there wouldn't be a second one exactly right well then you like what you just said that that jealousy is what's normal Mm -hmm. that let me see your phone that I need to have the passwords to everything that that's not normal but it is normal Mm mm-hmm so that's what we expect when that starts to happen. Oh, he he likes me more. That's why he's doing that. Mm-hmm. And we're lying to ourselves as if that that his behavior is okay because and, it has been okay. And we have conditioned so many little girls and I'm oh. I'm hoping parents aren't saying this anymore anymore. Please parents, do not tell little girls that little boys are mean to them or picking on them. Because they like them. Right. That is setting kids up to be abused. Mm -hmm. So if he's not picking on me, he mustn't like me. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's okay that he picks on me, that he pulls my hair, that he pushes me, that he does this. He's doing that because he likes me. And when we're told that in our formative years, it becomes a part of who we are, our beliefs, our value system. And so we accept that later. 
He's jealous because he just doesn't want to lose you. He loves you so much, he doesn't want to lose you. Okay, well then, I will accept his jealousy, even though it doesn't make sense. He's accusing me of going out and cheating because he loves me and, and he thinks so much of me that he thinks everyone wants me. Mm-hmm. No, it's mm-hmm. a power and control tactic. Does, does that kind of center at all in lack of self-confidence or poor self-esteem that you would have to keep that victim under your thumb or you would lose them? You wouldn't be able to have that relationship? Is that part of that perpetrator's problem? I think all of us have things in our personal lives that we don't feel very good about. And perpetrators are, um, they're hunters. They zero in on our weaknesses, and they will play on those things. And a lot of times, I know as women, Steve Harvey says it in his book, we tell men too much, especially in the beginning of the relationship. I don't like this. I don't like that. My last boyfriend treated me like this, and that hurt me. And so perpetrators, being the actors that they are, they present themselves as the person who will never do those things to us. And, um, but what they're doing is they're, they're paying attention. They're taking notes. They are learning how they can play on our weaknesses, our fears that are already there to um, beat us into submission, even when it's sometimes just their words. If I already feel like I'm unattractive and when you get angry with me or not even angry with me, when you want to keep me in control and I'm going out the house and I think I look cute and you say, are you wearing that? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's playing on my insecurities right there. But it's not so many times they say, well, it's something inside of the victim that makes them that makes the abuser treat them that way well that's still putting the onus on the victim not to be a victim Uh, perpetrators are predators and they will try their games on everybody Hmm. until they get a bite it's kind of like when you go fishing Uh, Most of the time, unless you're a game fisher, you're not trying to catch just one fish. You're throwing your bait out there and seeing what you can hook. And that's what um, predators do. They're looking for their prey. They are hunters. They practice their skill. And unfortunately, they're good at it. Well, obviously, with so many people seeking services, hopefully, if you're listening to this and you are realizing that you need some help, org. please get on our website or um, call we have people 24 hours a day every day that can help you if if this is the situation you find yourself in um, we were t- talking a little bit earlier about hope for perpetrators um, w- we we focus on victims and and saving the victims but then or helping the victims save themselves mm-hmm. what happens when the victims find that relationship is over, then something has to intervene with the perpetrator to not just send them out hunting again. 
all I was thinking was, yeah, something does need to happen. But usually they go out and find somebody else. <laughs> yeah, and and we talk about that <laughs> a lot a in the domestic violence. <laughs> in the domestic violence movement, we're t- we're mostly victim centered, mm-hmm. helping the victim. And and really, um, as you should be. But we cannot mm-hmm. end domestic violence without perpetrators being held accountable absolutely and being taught different ways to behave so it's part of our passion to also find help for the perpetrator and like i said battering intervention is one program that has been successful with holding perpetrators accountable i think it needs to be a lot more accessible i think it needs to be just as accessible as our services are for victims Mm -hmm. and they shouldn't have to be if someone needs help perhaps if it was more accessible they wouldn't get to the uh, justice system Mm -hmm. before they're court ordered to go to this obscure program if they can find it we've talked about sexual abuse victims not having to um, identify their their assailant or press charges or any of those kinds of things and still receive services how does that work with domestic violence okay so um, in the state of Michigan the victim, if there's been an arrest, the victim doesn't have to press charges. When they go to court, it's the state versus the perpetrator, not the victim versus the perpetrator. And so if the police have come in and seen there was evidence of abuse, that should be enough evidence for someone to be held accountable for it, whether or not that victim is cooperative or not. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the victim is not cooperative because um, they know the perpetrator's coming back. Or the perpetrator will go to jail, and if they still love that person, or he has threatened all kinds of violence should something happen to the relationship, I'm sure there are many reasons that the victim is not going to cooperate. Well, I don't think it's about cooperating. I mean, we focus on the victim being um, okay and getting hope back in their life. So if they choose to not um, move forward with uh, testifying mm-hmm. or we support them because that's what's best for them. and that's, They know their that's, situation yes, better than we do. They do. They're the experts on their own life. That's right. A lot of times if the perpetrator is arrested, the if it's the first arrest, that's a misdemeanor. And it's punishable at the most um, I believe it's 90 days in jail and a fine well that's not going to do much except make you more angry and it's usually played down to a lesser Mm -hmm. so they usually don't get much jail time which means they're coming back right and they're angrier right because now you've gotten me in trouble and so you're going to pay for that and so if I know my abuser is coming back to my home I'm not going to be the one cheering the police on in the corner right I am going to act like this is I am going to put on a Meryl Street performance of how this is the worst thing that could have happened to you to keep myself safe and I was just speaking with a victim and she thought that Uh, we were going to make her or encourage her to 
you know, reach out to the police because that is what is shown on TV. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to remember when you're watching SVU or whatever it is you're watching, those are detectives who want to get the perpetrator. We are not detectives. We are here for victims mm-hmm. and we're for them. So if they choose not to, that's You'll okay still with help us. Them. Yes, mm-hmm. we're here for them, whatever they choose to do. Right, they don't even have to leave the relationship Mm-mm. to get help from us. Mm-hmm. So how, what usually causes an intervention is it a police incident is it neighbors calling because they see something does the victim wake up one morning and say hey this isn't a good situation all it's of all the of above that. yeah all of that wow one day enough is enough mm-hmm. and i want help or my family found out that this is happening and they've reached out for help and so i'm gonna get help or the worst case scenario there's been a horrific incident and the police were called i'm sure there's also like medical intervention from time to time if if the victim seeks medical help you know uh, medical professionals part of what they're supposed to ask you when you go into the doctor's office mm-hmm. is are you safe at home yes and so I know I get that when I go into the doctor's office so one day I was in the doctor's office and they said are you safe at home and I said yes I said but if I said no what w- how would you help me and the lady said I have no clue oh wow She said, I had an incident like this, and we scrambled around and didn't know what to do. And so I began to bring to my doctor's office brochures and our 1-800 cards. If you have someone and their question, their answer to that question is no, give them our information. Give a, don't, sometimes the brochure isn't a good idea because they can't hide that give them this 800 card that's something that they can hide in their shoe that they can hide somewhere they can put it in their phone under a different name so they'll know where they can get help or they could call uh, from the doctor's office absolutely and we will respond Mm -hmm. we will respond i've responded to doctor's offices when they call and say we have someone here who's afraid to leave can you come and talk to this person and i've gone there but medical professionals need to know where they can refer Mm -hmm. victims when they come in contact and the answer to that question is no i'm not safe at home we've learned a lot this morning about domestic violence and not just the victims but the perpetrators as well and that there is hope for both victims and perpetrators if you find that you might be in an abusive relationship or that you may know someone who might need some services or some help or just to talk to someone about things that are going on at home please call our 800 number 800-828-2023 anytime day or night there will be Wonderful staff there to talk with you about the situation you find yourself in. Also, dasismi.org is a great resource. The Power and Control Wheel, there's a link to that right on the website. And if um, sometimes talking is just too immediate, that you you might want to just look at the website and, and get some information before you call for help, we do hope you would visit our website. 
We will be talking with, um, we'll be doing a victim's story, a survivor story, not a victim story. We start out that way, but hopefully all of us will end up with survivor story. And Tara will be with us next time to talk about how she survived her situation. So hopefully you will be able to join us for that podcast as well. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.